0: Well, again, officially Merry Christmas to you all, and uh, we have been. Thank you. We've been we've been spending the last so many weeks of Advent looking at Christ's coming and um, the gift, if you would, of, of His coming. That um, you know, it's Christ's birthday, and uh, yet we're the ones who receive the gift. Isn't that kind of neat? Um, kind of inverted, you know. Jesus is kind of a little aside here, but you know. Philippians 2 says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, and that mind is putting the, the needs and the desires above your own, and, and Christ manifested that to us by coming to the earth. He gave us the gift on his own birthday, and the gift was the gift of salvation, and so we talked last week about um, that perfect gift, and on um, Friday night, we looked at God himself being the perfect gift, and... Uh, and I mentioned throughout all this time that we're going to look next week, next year, all year at the, the the focusing on the Christ that that God didn't kind of give us this gift happenstance. It wasn't that God all of a sudden and in, in a moment of time said, "Oh, I think I'll give them a good gift right now." But rather, this gift has been four thousand years in coming, and. Um, And that, like a a, a neat mystery novel, God had been dropping hints for 4,000 years that he was going to do this, and that it shouldn't have took anybody by surprise. It's kind of like having a a birthday celebration. You know, it's supposed to be a surprise party, but every once in a while, the family kind of messes up, and they kind of drop a hint, maybe intentional or unintentional, and you kind of have the idea going in that something's going to happen. Well, it should have been that way for the, for the Jews in that day. In fact, when, when the, we see when the, the Magi come, they go to Jerusalem looking for the, the birth of this king of the Jews, th- assuming that it would happen there in Jerusalem. And so Herod immediately calls for the priests and says, where is this going to happen? And you know what happens? The priests immediately give them the response. Oh, it's in Bethlehem. That's where Messiah is going to be born. I mean, because it says right there in the book of Micah. And and, and they rattle off the the prophecy. And so, those who knew the word, knew the prophecies. and And yet, they weren't prepared to receive the king. They didn't want the gift. And as I Consider this transitional moment as we look at Christmas and the giving of the gift, if you would, the first coming of the King, the the incarnation of God. It's a reminder to us that there's a second coming, that when Jesus left, the angels told the disciples that he will come in like manner. Jesus himself stated that he would return, and we'll mention that, we'll look at that this morning. And so... I want to look at this morning the the fullness of time where we're told in the scriptures that Jesus came in the fullness of time in fact we've been memorizing that passage all all uh, all all month that in the fullness of time that God sent forth his son um, born of a woman born under the law, and so I want to look at that and look at the fullness of time when Christ came and but as we look at this, I want to have it in our mind that the application of this, and i 'll kind of bring it out is not just. For yesterday, not just for Christmas, and fun that it is. But the real application of this is God has indicated to us in His Word about the timing of Christ's return. And just as those Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians and Jews in general had the Word, had the testimony, had the hints had the indications, had the portents of Christ's first coming. So we have them going towards Christ's second coming. Now, we're going to look at that more in depth later on in the year. We're going to spend about 20 weeks or so looking at the shadow of Christ, looking at the the indicators of Christ's coming, and then we're going to look at the life of Christ, the ministry of Christ. We're going to look at the... the, um, the ascension of Christ, the return of Christ, the reign of Christ, and the reflection of Christ. And, and all this is going to happen, hopefully, this year. Anyways, but we want to focus on, on Christ this year. That's really, if you think about it, the, the goal of our worship services. And so this past year, we focused a lot on the Father, if you would, on God. On the attributes of God, knowing God. And this year, I want to look even more than in depth at the second part of the triunity. The second part of the Godhead. And, and looking at at Christ, and so if you would turn to Ephes- or Galatians chapter four, um, either in your Bible or in your bulletin there. But anyways, Galatians four, and I just want to l- read those two verses, verse four and five, because first I want to consider the the chronological aspect of Christ's coming, and that is it's the fullness of of time, the fullness of time, and uh, this is one of these kind of Greek messages here, but I think you'll get a A blessing out of it. In Galatians 4, 4 and 5, we read, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. In the Greek, there are two primary words referring to time, or a a marking off of time. There's the word chronos, when, so you use the word chronological. You put them in, in order. And chronos really refers to, I don't have a watch now. I have cell phones, right? I have cell phone time. So I don't look at my watch anymore. I pull out my cell phone and check what time it is. And so I don't know about you, but you know, I, look, I, I, I pull this out. And I, I click my little button, if I can find it. And I, I look for the chronos, for the, the time. Okay? This is time. Okay? And so you have a, a chronometer. Does anybody have a chronometer on them right now? Some of you do. Uh, Marsha has a chronometer. This, we normally refer to them as a watch, but it's technically a chronometer. It's, the, it's that which measures time. And so, see that you didn't know you had something so 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 incredible like that on you. I mean, many of us have chronometers all over our houses. You know, some of our chronometers go cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. Anyways, but you have chronometers all over the place. In fact, someone I, I probably actually I did it put put a chronometer on myself years ago so that I can ignore it. And um, you know what it means when, when, the, when a pastor comes in and he takes his chronometer off his, off his hand and he, and he puts it on the pulpit? Absolutely nothing. Anyways, so <laughs> sorry, I, can, I joke about myself. So anyways, but chronometers, so they're measuring of time. And what we're told in this passage is that, that there was a fullness of time. And the word fullness is a neat word too, it's the word pleroma. And it is the word for total completion, now there's a word teleo, which Jesus uses as tetelestai when he's, when, he's, um, when he's crucified. And he says, it is finished, it's completed, okay? It's more of a business type term. This word, pleroma, refers more to a, like a, a cup, a, a glass. And you're pouring fluid into it, and you get to the point where um, it's full, but it's not really, really full. You know that you can what? You can trickle just a little bit more into it. And do you know how much you can actually fit into a glass? a little bit more than it can hold, where it just kind of beads because of the hydrogen bonding of, of, of water. Anyways, and so it, it'll, it'll bead just over the top. But if you put one more drop in, what happens? It spills over. That's the fullness of time. Not another drop of time could fit in the cup of God's history and Christ was going to come. So we're down to the, the not just the, the the years not just the months not just even the weeks but we're talking about the very second in the fullness of chronos in the fullness the completion the, the 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 cup couldn't hold another second Now we're told that in the fullness of time that God sent forth his son to be born under the born of a woman to born under the law to redeem those who were under the law when when did the plan, literally this, this part of the plan, actually begin? Well, nine months ago. If, if Jesus was born in late December, which I, I believe he was. I believe it was end of December, beginning of January time frame. I don't have a problem with this at all um, meeting at this time because I think this is really when it was. Because if um, Zacharias was serving on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, that would have been the end of September, beginning of October. Fifteen months later would have been the birth of Christ, and that would be right about now. And so, um, but nine months ago, the end of March, beginning of April, would have been the conception. Would have been when God really became flesh. Do you ever think about that? We think of the birth right now. But if you believe that life begins at conception, and I do, then it was when Gabriel came to Mary and said, Oh, most blessed of woman, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. How's this going to happen? Well, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. And I don't think the Holy Spirit overshadowed her just before they went to Bethlehem and placed into her womb a nine-month-old baby. Now, when we think nine-month-old baby, we think out of the womb nine months, right? But think about it. When you give birth to a baby, you really are giving birth to a Nine-month-old. It's just foreign to the way we think. And if you think it's a mind-boggling thing enough to think of God in a, in a form of a baby, think about God submitting himself to a zygote. To a one-cell human that is a human. It's a mind-boggling thing. And so in the fullness of, of time, God had a, a plan from the very beginning, before the foundations of the world were laid, God had a, a plan. And time was going to march on. And so we see in Luke 2, I'll just read it for you, says, And it came to pass, this is the, the typical Christmas reading, right? And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered or taxed. And this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And so we're told some specifics about the what? The time. I don't think it was happenstance that Augustus was Caesar, or that Quirinius was the governor of Syria. I think God had that perfect timing already down. Now, what about his second coming? Turn with me to Matthew twenty-four. Matthew twenty-four. Remember, I said we want to we want to be mindful of this because it's a. This is a great time of the year to recall. And actually in Matthew 24 as well, we're not going to be reading, beginning there, verse 34. Um, and maybe I can bring this part of it out later, um, but as my mind's thinking about it now. We're told in Matthew 24 that in those days, um, the love of many is going to wax cold. And what a great day to, to be mindful of the, the fact that you know um, we've got to be careful in those days that you know people aren't going to be looking for it. But we're told in, in Matthew 24, beginning of verse 34, down to verse 42, that it, Jesus says, "Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that, what? Day and of that hour. Jesus specifically is letting us know that he's talking about what? Chronos. About time, but of that day and of that hour knows no one, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, were so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken. And the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour or what time, what day your day is or your Lord is coming. What's the point? Again, God has a plan chronologically, according to the chronometer, chronometer, that He is going to come. The day and the hour are already established, already set. He's not sitting there saying. Oh, boy, you know, I don't know. Is this a good time? Michael comes up and says, No, God, I think we ought to wait just a little bit longer. Israel just needs a little bit more time. I'm, give me a couple more, more days to work with Israel, Lord, and, and we'll be good. And Gabriel comes up and says, But I haven't been able to go to the earth for a while and to make a message, and I really would love to, the opportunity to go right now. Can we start this process? It's not happening that way. There's no debate going on, No, no, no discussion, no... No question, we're told that the hour and the day are already established. The thing that bothers us is what? The next statement. But no one knows it except for the Father. I mean, if he really loves me, what? He'd let me know. I love it when all these prophets come out with the day and the hour. What did Jesus say? No one knows it. Now, mathematically, I, can, I think I can go into the Bible and I can, I can pretty much guess the season. But all the way down to the day and the hour, the month? Wow. Now we're going against something that what? Jesus himself spoke. There is a day and an hour already planned. There is a moment in time. And you know what? It may very well be today. I mean, it may very well be before we leave this room that Christ comes again. The question is, do you really believe that? With our mind, we say, yes, yes, we believe that. Theologically, I understand that. I've studied that. But practically speaking, do we live our lives like we really believe that? I mean, did you honestly come today thinking that you may not go home today? That that Jesus might, I mean, hopefully... That, I mean, now, if Jesus came right now, would you still be sitting here? Okay? I mean, that, I always think the funnest place to be at on the day of the, the rapture, and hopefully I still won't be there, but anyways, would be a Baptist church, and how many people are still sitting there after half the congregation left. You know? Oh, oops! <laughs> oops! <laughs> oops! That's exactly right. Or Methodist Catholic. I understand, but since we're Baptistic, it's nice to pick on the Baptistic people. We're a Bible church, so we can say Bible church, you know, those in a Bible church, but but that's exactly right. Wherever you're at it that day. But the fact is that there are many people playing the game. But in that day, on that hour, the truth will be what? Will be known. Will be known. And so chronologically, God has a plan. There is a day coming forward when all these things will occur. Now, I want to look as well, though at the typological, the typological aspect of his coming. That's a big word. What does that mean? Well, that is that there were events, there were happenings that had to be fulfilled. And so, as we talked about in the fullness of time, now this talks about the fullness of events. Turn with me to Romans 5. Romans 5. We looked at... Romans 5, 1, and down last week when we are looking at the peace of God that we get at Christmas time because of what happened at Christmas. But in verse 6 we read specifically, For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's not the word chronos there. That's the word kairos. Kairos is the other um, Greek word for the measurement of time, of if you would. And it's measuring time by events. It's Talking about circumstances and events that are going on, and so, um, so for example, in a, a few weeks in a, or I guess about a month or so from now, we're gonna um, there's gonna be an event um, happening. And I, I'm not sure where it is. Is it in Atlanta this year? Is it Super Bowl? Oh, that's right, in Dallas. That's right. That's right. Because beginning of the year that everybody was hoping the Cowboys are anyway. Ah, uh, oh, yeah. Anyways, so the Steelers will be there and celebrate for you guys. Um, so, <laughs> but for each of these Super Bowls. They don't just say Super Bowl, they say Super Bowl what? 13, Super Bowl 40, Super Bowl whatever, and you have all the Roman numerals, that makes a whole lot of sense. Putting Roman numerals, we're, we, don't have, we don't use Roman numerals, but anyways, so they put the Roman numerals there at the end of it. And we can tell time based upon a, an event. There are many people, I, you think I'm really huge on the Steelers type stuff, it's just a, it's a contrast thing, you know, since I'm here. But if I was in Pittsburgh, I wouldn't seem to be a huge Steeler fan at all. I mean, there are people who can tell you what numbers of Super Bowls they were in, who they played, what the score was, who were the MVPs. And I can't tell you all that stuff. I just know they won six. Okay, and and the, and the Cowboys won five. five, five. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways, um, <laughs> they're leaving now. All right. Way to alienate yourself. Anyways, so, but, but there are things then that we mark off time with other than the chronometer. Does that make sense? There are so many things, and so. Some of you are willing to tell me how many special days you've had in your life. Some of you aren't. I'm going to hit 50 this year. It doesn't bother me. It's just another measurement of the chrono- chronometer, right? But that's really not, when I say 50, the reality is I'm saying that I had, what, 50 events. No, no, event birthdays. Make sense? And so I, I'm, actually, I'm actually older than 49 right now because we don't track the what? The days. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm actually closer to 50 than I am to 49. But I still tell people, that I'm what? I'm 49. That's not really true. I'm 49 and 7 eighths or something, you know? Um, and so, but we, we measure time then based upon birthdays as well. Those are kairos. Those are those, are the, those are those events that are happening. And so, that's what's being talked about here. That That while we were still without strength, in the completion of the events... Christ died for the ungodly. In other words, there wasn't just that God had set out at the beginning of the world that Anamundi. Now, I understand you've got to do Anamundi. You can't say um, A.D. and B.C. because those didn't exist back then, right? And so it was all A.M., Anamundi. Anamundi means year of the creation, year of the world, okay? And so, um, so God created at zero Anamundi. Does that make sense? Okay. And so Christ died for us approximately 4,000 annumundi. Make sense? And so approximately then 3,970 annumundi is when, or I guess it would be 3,967 or so Mundi, Christ came to the earth. He was born. You, you tracking with all that? And so God, God established a certain day, okay, from creation. But along with it, he also established, this is what we're going to spend in the next 20 weeks on, he also had these events that were going to occur as well. I shouldn't say we're going to spend the next 20 weeks. Actually, we're going to be looking at um, reflections of Christ in the Old Testament. But some of those are going to be these, these events that had to occur and be. And, 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 and all of them were fulfilled, just like God established that they would be fulfilled. In fact, that what we read this morning in Ephesians chapter 1, if you can go back there, you'll see in Ephesians 1, that we're told that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, or events again, that's in um, Ephesians 1, verse 10, that we see in the dispensation of the fullness of times, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him in whom also you believed. Okay? And so that God had these events, these, these circumstances that were going to occur, and Christ couldn't come until what? They, they all happened. That's exactly right. And so so we see the same thing, that fullness, the word pleroma. But now this is the pleroma of kairos, of kairoi, of and Chiron, the the events. So there had to be the cup again. Picture the cup. But now the cup had to have each be filled up with those events. And so you can almost picture the, uh, how many of you, when you were little, used to Play the, uh, what was it called? Don't spill the beans? They had to, don't look at me. I'm just, uh, thank you, Jennifer. At least somebody's gonna, remembering it. Some of you are looking at me with this blank stare, like, what? I, I'm not that old. Some of you are older than me. Come on. Anyways, and, and so you'd have the little pot and you put the beans on it, right? Because it had a little lid so you didn't have to fill it up. But anyways, you put the little lid on it and you start putting the beans on it. And so eventually somebody puts the bean on it that causes the pot to tip and all the beans are spilt. And if you were that person, you were the Loser! I always thought you should be the winner. I mean, you were able to cause that pot to tip over like that, and so that was the idea again of all these events. And so those beans, each of those beans is an event that's being placed on the the the, um, the timeline of history, if you would. And so we're told that that happened. Well, you know what? The same thing going to happen as well on when Christ returned. Before we look there, turn with me to Luke twenty-four. This is a a neat passage and a great transition to where we're going to be heading over this next year. Luke 24, this is after the um, resurrection of Christ. Verse 13, we're going to read context, long passage here. The road to Emmaus, it says, Now behold, two of them, that's the disciples, were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Verse 16, Luke 24. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened here in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And now the chief priests and our rulers have delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came, saying they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Could you imagine being Cleopas and his companion that day, walking to Emmaus? No, you wish they recorded it. Yes, we all do. But to know exactly what all Jesus, and that's why it's probably left undone. It's for the Holy Spirit to help us to dig it out. That's exactly right. We're lazy people. If it was there for us, we wouldn't do that. And uh, But for Jesus, now they didn't know it was Jesus. Their eyes were blinded at this moment. There's just this guy walking along who they're thinking is what? Dumb, yeah, what an ignorant buffoon. I mean, how could you be in Jerusalem? Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know the news? I mean, I mean, you know, you don't know what just went on, and here it is, Jesus hanging out with them. You know, Wouldn't that be pretty cool? I mean, the resurrection for dummies, yeah. And, uh, but, but to be on their side, I mean, they, I know they were intentionally blinded so that Jesus could have this moment with them. And we're told then that Jesus began to, um, the word in the Greek is hermeneutics. Have you ever heard that English word, hermeneutics? And, and it's to interpret, to translate and interpret um, the Scripture. Could you imagine having God Himself interpret the Scriptures for you? Wouldn't that be pretty cool? I mean, isn't that, I mean, I don't know how often you hear that if you're witnessing to people, but so many times I hear people say to me, What? Well, oh, there's just so many interpretations. You know, everybody has their own interpretation. Well, I'd rather have the interpretation of, of God. That really is the only interpretation that really matters. Is that true? And the easiest way for me to figure that out is to take a literal interpretation. I mean, why do I why do I want to read stuff into it? Why do I want to spiritualize it and allegorize it and figuratize it? Why don't I just take it that this is really what God wanted me to know? And so that's what Jesus did. He took the scriptures and he began to show them exactly where it continually said that he was coming. And he was going to do it. Isaiah 53 is so clear about the suffering servant. Of how Messiah was going to come and how he was going to die. And yet they missed it. Zechariah is so clear where Yahweh says, and they will look upon me whom they have pierced. God himself declared that he was going to come to the earth. He was going to be crucified and everybody was going to see him. And yet they what? They missed it. Just undoubtedly that Jesus had to share those, at least those two passages. I'm sure he shared some, the, how the, the scepter was not going to depart from Judah with him. I'm sure he, he shared with him about Melchizedek from the, from the Psalms, from Genesis and from the Psalms. I, I, I just know that he probably went to Genesis chapter 3 and, and, and showed how the, the seed of the woman was going to crush the seed of the serpent. Wouldn't it have been neat to be there that day? That's what we're going to do this next year. We're going to look at some of those, those things that, that, that Jesus was, I think, that Jesus kind of brought out. I mean, they're, they're there in the Old Testament. But they were events. They were things that were recorded for us. So when the fullness of those events would have occurred, he was going to come. Hebrews 10, verse 1 says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with the same sacrifices which they offer continually, make those who approach perfect. The law, the writings of the Old Testament, were just a shadow for Christ's coming. Can I say this then, as we kind of head toward the end here, and even toward the end times, the same thing's true for the second return of Christ? In Matthew 24, I know I asked you to move away from that, but back there in Matthew 24, I'll just read the first verse there in verse 34. It said, Assuredly I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Now, I began reading verse 34 because I didn't want the huge reading. But you could begin back at verse 1. When the disciples were saying to Jesus, when will these things take place? When will the end of times come? And Jesus begins to turn and tell them about the famines and the earthquakes and the wars and the rumors of wars and, and all these other things and the false prophets that are going to be coming and, and, and the signs and the wonders that are going to be occurring. And, and they're going to say, look, there's the Christ. No, there's the Christ. And they're going to be doing all these things. And, he's, and he says, and the, the love of many, because evil is going to abound, the love of many is going to wax cold. And so then he comes and says, and all these things will take place. Two years ago now, um, in 2009, we looked at the book of Revelation. And we took time going through the seals and the trumpets and then into the bulls of wrath. But I again believe that the rapture... I'm a pre tribulational rapturist, okay? Those big terms, if it means anything to you, it just meant something to you, okay? But, anyways, I believe that Jesus is going to come before the last seven years for Israel. But I believe that that occurs in Revelation chapter 10, not what the traditional Tim LaHaye baptistic thing is that it's occurring in Revelation chapter 4, okay? Because John was called up here and they don't want to go through the seals and the trumpets. I don't see that. Rather, I see Matthew 24 matching together very well with the seals and the trumpets. And those are all events that are going to occur. Now, I hope I'm wrong. And I hope I'm taken up before that first seal. I mean, I wouldn't complain at all. If Jesus came back and said, No, it's time! I say, praise God! But you know what? Just as there were tribulation in the days for the Jews leading up to the time of Christ's first coming, why should it seem silly for us that there may be those days in store for us. You know, if you lived in in China or Indonesia or Malaysia or Saudi Arabia or Iran or Iraq or Egypt, I can go on naming names, where believers are not allowed to worship in public. They're not allowed to evangelize. They're being thrown in jail. Some are being killed. As Americans, we feel many times that we have the the, the unspoken covering that we don't have to experience those things. We may. And we may very well in your lifetime or my lifetime. God said there are certain things that will occur before Christ comes back. And honestly, I look to the world and I see a lot of them already being accomplished. Israel is already a nation. Hosea chapter 6, we're told that after two days, Israel will be revived and on a third day she will be restored. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Just Israel's existence right now should be an indicator to us that God's chronometer is still marching on and the events within that chronometry are taking place, and we, as believers, were told in First Thessalonians chapter five, are not supposed to be like those who are in the dark, but we're of the day, and those times should not take us unaware. But that it will be like a woman in travail, a woman who's pregnant. I've got seven blessings, six births, set of twins, and each one of those six times, I couldn't tell you the day or the hour. But you know what? I could tell you the season of the birth. And I like being the prophet whenever a woman's nearing her her ninth month and I can say, I know you want that baby to come, but look at this way. Two months from now, you'll be holding that baby. And they always want to hit me. I better be holding a baby in two months from now. I thought, it could be be tomorrow. And maybe three weeks from now. But one thing I can tell you is that in two months from now, you'll be holding the baby. Do you get it? I don't know the day or the hour. But we ought to know the seasons of his coming. God has written it for us. Just like he wrote the the, the hints toward his first coming. For those to know when it would occur, that it was occurring. But they rejected it. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. What will it be like when he comes back. Now, then, God's plan for Christ's first coming occurred just as he had planned it, to accomplish that which he planned to accomplish. Have you received that plan into your own heart? Do you believe it really occurred? Now, honestly, I don't know why you'd be here the day after Christmas if you really didn't believe that. But do you really believe that the first coming occurred? And that it occurred for the reason that God determined for it to come. And that is to redeem us. And do you, though, really believe that the second coming is going to come? Because just as God's plan for the first coming occurred and happened, just as he established it to happen, so the second coming will happen in the same manner. Are you ready for it? Are you really ready for it? it? What if it happened? I mean, I know even... Even, I mean, honestly, even here tell, telling you that, there's part of me that really doesn't expect it to happen. Th- does that make sense? I mean, you know, it's just the way we are. But we need to be prepared, and we need to be ready. And to allow our faith to be evidenced by our works, by our actions. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. I thank you for your word that is quick, it's powerful, and sharper it sharper than a two-edged sword, and that you use it to divide us asunder between the soul and the spirit and the bones and the marrow, and that you use it as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Lord, help us to be prepared for your coming. Lord, help us to to be ready. I know it's not going to be in a, a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes joined by a heavenly host in adoration and praise as well as protection. But rather, when you come, it will be in a cloud with the voice of the archangel at the sounding of the last trump. And you will gather those who are yours to be joined with you forever. And we will become like you, for we shall see you as you are. And you shall change our vile bodies that they may be fashioned like unto your glorious body, according to the working whereby you are able to subdue all things to yourself. And then the earth will be under great travail, And then once again you will come with your heavenly host to save your people Israel, to establish your throne, just as you have declared. Lord, I pray that we would not be as those who walk in darkness. For we know that you, O Father, are light And those who have fellowship with you walk in the light. Be glorified, Father, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.